We are going to begin today, where we left off in um, chapter 2, verse 17, and we will go to the end of the book. This week, in preparation of the Word, it has been a process, a difficult one, one that, um, in the words of Alistair Begg, as he was talking about his preaching career, and at that time was about 38 years, um, and it's in the, in the box, he called it, it didn't have windows, you know, you don't to prepare in his little box, and he said, and as I prepared the word, I got down on my face, and I said, God, if you want this message preached, you're going to have to do it. And he said, you might think that that happened when I first started. And he said, no, that was this Sunday morning. And um, I, I found myself in that place this week. And it is a good place to be, although it, it is painful. It is a good place to be. So let us begin looking at uh, Malachi chapter 2. And I'm going to read through the, the whole text and then we'll kind of dive in, okay? So... Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied you? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppose the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed, evildoers, not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. 
A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the arrogant and all evil doers will stumble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Yes. I've been thinking about our election, uh, because I met with uh, me with some pastors in Portland, and uh, Michael Lawrence was talking about how in his congregation, he said that he was really disappointed that over half of his people voted for a particular candidate. I'm not going to say which one. But he was really disappointed that half of his people voted for that one particular person. And I left there driving home thinking about what he had said. And I was like, well, you could say that you might be disappointed about 100% of the people if you really thought about what their choices were. Right? If you thought about what their choices were, half of them, either way, you'd be mad at all uh, or disappointed. Well, I started thinking about that and, and how this will pertain to what we're going to talk about this morning. Well, during our election, see, we had these two major party candidates, and it seems that they didn't speak for any of the people that they were called to represent. But I think that I have a solution. I propose a third party. Well, I know that you guys are going to say, well, there are third parties. Um, these third, but these third party candidates, you know, they focus on a really narrow group of constituents. But the party that I uh, am going to propose to you this morning, and I believe that this party will be larger than the Republican Party, larger than the Democrat Party. In fact, 45% of all Americans would be part of this movement because that's the number of people who did not vote. 45% of the population did not vote. So I'm proposing a third party for bringing this all together. You know what I call that party? I call it the apathy party. So you might ask, okay, so what is your platform? I don't know and I don't care. That's the platform. In our text this morning, we're going to see that Israel's response to God's grace is complacent. Israel said that God said to Israel, I have a distinct love for you. I chose you by grace. Your response is complacent and apathetic. Yahweh through Malachi is burdened with calling them to repentance. By reminding them of God's choice, God's holiness, God's grace in the past, his promise of future grace, and his final judgment of sin. He would say, I love you, 
Repent now. If it seems that I delay, I am sending you a messenger who will call you to repentance. Repent now. The day is coming when sin will be judged. Don't delay. Repent now. Well, as I unfolded that idea, and I thought about that, and I thought about us, we have been recipients of God's grace, those of us who are in Christ. And how do we respond to that grace? Do we respond to that grace and return love for Him? Or do we respond to that grace and say, I the grace is coming. There's no need to call me to a life other than what I'm already living. Have I grown cold toward the Lord? Have I grown cold toward His people? Am I living really sort of apathetically? Am I living as if I just don't know and I really don't care? And I think that that is the indictment here against Israel. Let's look at um, verse uh, 17 of chapter 2 again. And you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. In this section, the section that follows, we'll see that the Lord is a witness against adultery and other moral offenses. But what they're really asking here of God is, what difference does a life of holiness make? The evildoers go unpunished. And here's, here's what they're saying against God. Is you neglect to bring justice against sinners. Because you neglect to bring justice against sinners, we, as your chosen people, are not vindicated. You've not vindicated us. This is the question or accusation that Israel has of God. It reminds me a bit of Jonah and his resistance to preach to Nineveh. God, what difference does it make? You're going to be gracious to them anyway. What difference does it make for me? I know you. You're going to be patient with them. You're going to be long-suffering. You're going to allow them opportunity to turn to you. What difference does it make how I live in light of that's who you are? Well, I started thinking about this. Here's a fundamental human problem, a human propensity. We desire mercy, long-suffering, and patience for ourselves and justice for everyone else. Right? If I have been, I feel I'm being wrong, I want mercy. I want mercy for me. But if you wrong me, I think what you need is justice. Go get them. That's really kind of the heart of us as people, I believe. And I recall... Um, I was talking about this yesterday morning with the guys and that when I was um, giving a message in juvenile detention in Anno County and talking to this kid and he's asking me to pray for him. He says, so would you pray that the judge goes easy on me? And I said, no, I can't pray that. He said, you can't? I said, no, I can't. I, I'm going to pray that you get justice. Listen, don't do that. <laughs> you don't want justice? No, I want justice. I want mercy. 
And then I reminded him of, of how his heart is towards other folks, right? Is that, you know, somebody wrongs him, steals from him, justice. He steals, gets himself put in jail, mercy. Right? That's what he wants. That's kind of us. Well, it seems to me then that our fundamental failure to respond to grace and repentance is a failure to understand the nature of ourselves and the nature of God concerning his wrath, concerning his judgment, concerning his grace. It's a failure to fully understand it. If you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfastness for thousands, steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. See, God here declares to Moses, I love you. I've chosen you. I'm slow to anger because of my love for you. I am unchanging in my love and faithfulness to you. But we often stop there. We don't hear the other part that God says is that I am just as steadfast and unchanging in my wrath against sin. I am for you and at the same time I'm opposed to your sin. Moses declares a repentant heart here, by an admission that, Lord, without any intervention from you, O God, we are completely undone and without hope. We are completely undone and without hope. I understand that you are gracious and loving and long-suffering and patient, but at the same time, at the same time, you are opposed to my sin. And he looks at his own people and he says, we're a stiff-necked people. Kind of reminds you of, of Isaiah going to the throne, doesn't it? I, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm amongst people of unclean lips. I must be clean, I'm undone. I'm a mess. Well, let's look at 3, 1 through 5. And I, this response sort of blew me away, is that here they make this, this, um, this uh, accusation against God saying that he's not bringing justice and not vindicating men by his justice. And then God responds with this, and it's, it puzzled me. He says, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in far days. 
Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. It's almost as if God says, it's true that sinners have not received the full recompense for their iniquity. But as for you, almost like in Titus, in Titus says, you know, Cretans are always lazy liars and gluttons. And God follows that with, but as for you, Amen. that is true, but as for you, and here they are saying justice is not being done. Sinners are not being punished. And it's as if God says, but as for you, but as for you, the day is coming when I will send another messenger and he will declare the coming of what you are longing for, the Messiah, to bring a glory to the Lord above and beyond just a picture of glory, above and beyond a symbol. I am sending you Christ. And what is the message of the one who prepares the way? It is the same message that I declare to you today. That sin will be judged. Repent now. Yahweh is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. Which of you can stand at his coming? No one. No, not one. Which of you can stand at his coming? No no one. No, not one. But we who are in Christ are on the other side of the finished work of the cross. He has come, and yet he is coming again. Who among us will stand in that day? Who among us will stand in that day? That becomes a, a, great, a great question. Because as I think about that, I was conceived in sin. I was conceived in sin. Who will stand? He says, in that day, sin will be purged once and for all. Will you be able to bear that day? Without Christ, the answer is no. I won't be able to stand in that day. But with Christ, Titus 2.11 tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for a blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. With Christ. That is our answer. Let's look at 3, 6 and 7. For I do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. I am wrathful and furious with sin. I do not change. I am gracious and long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I do not change. 
Therefore, you have not been consumed. You have not been consumed. They ask the question, how shall we return? He says, return to me, and I will return to you. How shall I return? As I read through the rest of this, I thought the basic answer is all the way. How shall I return all the way? Bring me all of you. Repent. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. I have been gracious to you, Israel. Respond to that grace. I will continue to be gracious to you. I will continue to abhor sin. Your response must be with a complete otherness. From your father's days until now, you have rejected me, he says. From your father's days until now, you have rejected me. How shall we return all the way? God would say, I knew your friend. For you and I to come to God, we must be other than we are. We, we were conceived in sin. As we think about what he's saying about the fathers, he says, your fathers have always turned aside. And you were born in them. And I've offered you grace, and you still don't turn. You still long for justice for others and mercy for yourself. You still won't turn, but I'm patient. And then he would say to us, as we look at that, I was conceived in sin. It's who I am. And I want to say this, that as we are called to be responders of grace, what is the response? Repent. Repent. And as I think about the role of pastor, one of them, and one of the main ones, I believe, is to be the chief repenter. To be one who repents first. The one who repents often. The one who repents on behalf of others. The chief repenter. And so, as I was saying, as I battled through this text this week, and I was on the floor, it's a lot of repentance. There's a lot of personal repentance. But, but, in this repentance, and in this otherness, I need to be other than, I, than who I am. I need to be other. And then I can recognize by looking at I can't be but what I am, because I was conceived in sin. There's a wretchedness that is deep within me. I was conceived in sin. And then it reminded me of my favorite passage, probably in all of Scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the declaration he's making to them, too. Now is the time to turn. Now is the time 
to repent. Any one of us who's in this room who might be thinking this morning, I was conceived in sin and I am sinful. And I won't be able to stand on that day. I will not be able to stand on that day when God comes and gives justice to sin. They wipe it out and won't be able to stand. I am not other than I need to be. Here is the thing. is that Christ became everything other for you. Right? Sinless. He came and became sin. Completely other than who he is. He became completely other. That we might then be able to stand in that day. And I'm asking you today, can you stand? Will you be able to stand? God then comes back to his people and he says, Will man rob God, verse 8? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord. Will you rob me of honor? How have we robbed you? He reminded them of the beginning where he says, he said, remember earlier, I showed you that your priests were holding back sacrifices and giving only second best. As go the guardians of the covenant, so go the rest of all of you. As with the guardians of the covenant, so go you. I'm sure that in that accusation against the guardians of the covenant, I'm sure that the people were thinking, yeah, those priests are pretty bad. Those priests are really messing up. They're really not leading us the way they ought to lead us. It's their fault that I'm in this spot. God says, you're not off the hook. As with the guardians, so go you. All of you, he says, all of you. You have trampled on my grace. You have trampled upon grace. And God would say to him, I offer you grace yet again. You have trampled on my grace. I offer you grace yet again. Bring all of you. Bring everything. Bring all of it into the storehouse and test me on this. Give me the whole outfit as we talked about last week. Not just the branch, but throw the whole tree in. Give me all of yourself. I have given you all of me. I will continue to give you all of me. I will not only bless you, but you will be a delight to others because I have shown you grace. I have shown you grace. Do we want to win favor in the world? That is a question I, I, I often ask myself. Of course, I want to win favor in the world because I want them to see the goodness and the greatness of who Christ is. I really want that. That is really a deep desire. I want people to be so enamored with what it is that we do that they say, I need Jesus. I need him. I see what he's done in your life. I need him. We want him in favor in the world. It seems here and in other places that we're called to give our all to God, to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. I think that when we focus on trying to please the world and trying to win the world, God will say, 
Bring everything to me. Come to me. Get all of your satisfaction from who I am. I am the possessor of all things. I am the possessor of all things good. Why are you going to the world to get to get what it is that I have? They don't have it. Come to me. Come to me and get all that I am for you. Give all of yourself to me and get all that I am for you. And guess what? The world will say, I want what they have. I want what it is that God has given to them. Let's look at um, 3.13 through 4.3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. A book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evil doers will be stubble. That day is coming. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord. I see in this section, God's elective love has vindicated them. And they're asking this question, is there a distinction between the chosen and the arrogantly wicked. It's the same question they asked in chapter 1. How have you loved us? They ask it again. How have you loved us? What profit is it for me to walk with you? And I think as I look at, at verse 16 as those who gathered together that seems a great case for congregational quality to me. So as, as the church, as those folks that got together, they affirmed one another's repentant faith. They got together and one said, I believe in the name of the Lord. I'm repentant. The other one says, I am too. I believe what God says. And together they came. The, water, the leaders there, they jotted down the names and they affirmed the members and they presented the book to God. And God said, these are mine. You will see a distinction between the arrogant, the wicked. You will see a difference between them and the chosen of God. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
I see here that as, as they come, when you say we esteem the name of the Lord, we esteem the name of the Lord. We pay attention. God pays attention to that. And he writes the name down in the book because he is just. And he is the justifier. For us, it is those who have faith in Christ that are justified when he comes. The distinction in a nutshell is that the arrogant and wicked are recipients of the fullness of God. The arrogant and the wicked in the whole world right now are receiving, they receive the fullness of God. They receive grace, the same as us, in the here and now. Because God is who He is, long-suffering, patient, right? They are receiving the fullness of God. They receive grace in the here and now. But in the end, they receive justice. The chosen receive grace in the here and now. And Christ takes on Himself the justice that we so richly deserve. And we receive unmerited, unearned personal favor from God. More grace, a future grace. My question for all of us this morning is how will you respond to his offer of grace? Will, we, will you return to him once again if the world around us has gotten too much of us? Will you and I repent of a cold, lifeless faith and give him all that is due to him in worship and in our life? Will you maybe today for the first time recognize that you need an intervention? You're undone. At Christ's coming, you find in your heart, you know, I am undone. Maybe today you say, I need an intervention from God. I need Christ's sinless life. I need his substitutionary death for me. I need his resurrection life. I need to be reconciled unto God. Repent now. Don't let the eleventh hour quickly pass us by this morning. Don't, don't let anything separate you from receiving that grace that God has to offer us. Respond to His grace. It's who He is. Also understand that who He is is wrathful against sin, against our sin. It's quite a dual thing going on, right? I love you. I hate your sin. I love you. I hate your sin. I want mercy from God. I don't want His justice. I want mercy. But ultimately, don't I want justice in the world? Don't I want God's justice ultimately for me and for us? Won't that be the day, the great day, when we are no longer in the presence of sin anywhere? Won't that be a great day when He comes? We, though, need Jesus Christ so that we fear not that coming judgment. And you notice that in this um, text, as He starts to unfold the things that that the day of his coming burning like an oven what he says about the arrogant and the wicked he starts out with 
He says, he says the arrogant and the wicked, they're going to be stubble, right? They will be stubble. If we, if we back up a second, we can see that when he talks about him drawing near for judgment in chapter 3, he says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against idolaters, against those who swear falsely. So if we pause there, that is those for whom Israel is seeking justice. But then here's an indictment that is actually for them. Judgment is also coming for those who oppress hired worker in their wages. For the widow, for the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, do not fear me. It's judgment for us too. He says, repent now. Repent now. And for us, we repent now and then we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have been justified by the justifier. But judgment will come. Repent today. Don't wait. And then when he ends this oracle to them, he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at all for him. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great house and day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I would say to us that we can just take this one nugget that says, Remember my word. I have sent you Jesus Christ. Repent today. Sin will not go unpunished. I am patient and loving and kind and long suffering and all of those things. But I am also wrestling with sin. I sent my son. Repent today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus for us. I pray today that we would be responders to your grace. That we would live a life marked by repentance. As I, as I think about your love for me and your grace toward me and your grace toward us, I think my natural response ought to be on my knees. But it's not. My normal responses aren't I awesome? Aren't I good? I deserve this favor. I've been obedient. But my heart ought to recognize how much further God wants to take me than I'm really willing to go. So when I think of your grace and your love, I repent of them today and tomorrow. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for the work you are doing in us and through us and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.